So did you catch the name of the four names of the guys there? Uh, so it's Peyton, and then it's Josh, Sam, Rubio. And the two new guys have, that have come on since furlough started would be David and Blues, like Blues Music, or Blues Clues, depending on how, I, you know, how old your kids are. Um, you notice that their names are in, China, are in English? Because <laughs> we gave them most of their English names. It's a lot easier to remember English names than it is to remember uh, Wang Yuqian and Ling Peitan and all them. And so that's actually really hard for me to still, even though I speak Chinese, learning Chinese names is just really hard. Uh, well, let me tell you about a little bit about them. Uh, you know, these are young men that we've met and led to the Lord, and not over just a course of five minutes over a track. It's been months of dealing with them in the Bible, uh, meeting with them hours and hours and hours, and going through scriptures until the point, all of them get to the point where they would inwardly and secretly say that they, they believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And that's key. That's, that's where the witness is centered on. We don't, we don't believe in a philosophy of doing good. We don't believe in karma. Uh, we believe in a historical fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And if he did not rise from the dead, then Paul says, then your faith is still in vain. And so we get to that point. That's where we start. Uh, but for them just to acknowledge the proofs, that Jesus did rise from the dead, that's still not enough to quite get them to go home and say, well, I'm going to be a Christian now. <laughs> and so it's, it usually takes um, some time for them to build up the courage to be able to have a testimony and go do that. Uh, and so our first convert, he uh, came for Bible study for nine months. And he would come to my house and come to church. And so probably in my house, probably two, three times a week and have a Bible study that would last anywhere for like 45 minutes to an hour. We did that for nine months. About the same time that it takes to carry a baby. It takes about nine months. And uh, so he was our first convert, and I met him playing soccer at a university. Um, you know, what do you do when you land in the country, and there is no church, and you're just getting started? What's the first thing that you do? Well, and in our way of thinking, um, I'm looking for young men to be pastors, um, now, there's just a number of things that you can do as a missionary. I go start orphanages. I can uh, go start a hospital. And we use that word missionary very widely. It seems to cover all of those things. But traditionally, when we use the Bible and the New Testament as our model for uh, missionary ministry, I look at Paul, I, and I look at what he did. And everywhere he went, he trained men. And in order to train men, he had to have a church to train them in. And so that's what we're looking for. I'm looking for some young men. And so I found young men playing soccer one day at a university. And I played soccer my whole life. So I just jumped right in real easy with them. And I invited the whole team out to uh, not church, but to a Bible study at my house. And all of them said no, except for, except for Peyton. So he was the first one. And just having Bible study, well, it's, it's quite rare to uh, have a guy just jump in full time right in the very beginning before you've done anything. But the Lord apparently was working on his heart right then. Um, we had some other interns from the States, and they were interning. They were, they were students. And even the word intern in Chinese means student. And so Peyton would ask me, what are the students doing? What are the interns from America doing? I said, well, they're training. They're training to be ministers. They're training to uh, be able to preach the gospel in Chinese one day. And so, you know, you and I take it for granted. Uh, if a young man here in this church would want to serve God, 
we take it for granted that he already knows what kind of he needs to do. He needs to approach the pastor or he needs to approach his youth guy. And then, you know, a lot of times automatically we just think we'll send them to college. That's where they get training. That, that's not how people think in a place where there is no church. <laughs> it's, 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 not, it's not just a common thing. And so people have to be shown very basic things. And so Peyton saw, even before I really understood that concept, God understood the concept, and he was showing Peyton people training. And so he was a young man in college, and so that, he asked me that question, what, the, what were they doing? He asked me that question on a Friday. Monday, I got a call from Peyton, and he said, well, I quit school. <laughs> you did what? <laughs> so I quit school. I want to train full-time with you. I mean, what? And so that was just really, just very shocking to me. And I was like, did you tell your mom and dad yet? <laughs> I mean, because they, they would about castrate him <laughs> for jumping out of school. I mean, they, they poured money into this kid to get to school and, and be able to, you know, support mom and dad when they get old one day. And they're going to be, now he's going to be a preacher. And so that was our first young man out of the six. And so we started a church with Peyton. And, uh, and I hardly didn't know what I was doing. I mean, I, I've learned how to do stuff in China. In China, we meet in basements. You know, we meet in uh, some. We meet in parks. We meet in places where, for Chinese people, it's it's okay to meet, and they they don't mind. You know, sitting like sardines next to each other like this in a cramped place. In Taiwan, it's it's not like that. In Taiwan, they're a lot more Americanized or Westernized. They they like their space. They like big open spaces, big windows, and that like lots of light. And I made all those mistakes, and so Peyton was there to watch me do that. But the Lord is training. Me, as just as much as he training Peyton. And so we kind of struggle with the first church plant for the whole year. I mean, we, had, we had five people come on Wednesday night for a whole year. But now all five of those people are in the ministry. Um, and so the Lord, you know, he used us in spite of us. In spite of us not really know what we're doing, um, the Lord used that. And a verse comes to my mind as I tell you that. In Second uh, Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord are looking to and fro to show himself strong, and those whose heart is perfect towards him. And so what are you looking for when you're looking for a, a man to be a pastor one day? Well, you know, if, if it was us, you know, our, I think our probably our first inclination would be to, to look for someone who's saved, <laughs> someone who's faithful and come to church. Not in Taiwan, you're just you're looking for Every time I pass a young man, I'm thinking, he could be a preacher. I mean, he's probably on his way to Buddha to worship Buddha. But in my mind, I'm thinking, that man, yeah, he could get saved. The Bible could transform him. And, uh, and so the Lord has done that in spite of us. And it, it, it took no incredible ability to be able to find six young men that want to serve God. It's not because I speak Chinese. It's not because I know some, uh, some missionary kung fu and I, and I worked it on him. There's nothing special about uh, anything that went into that besides just being faithful. And the verse I just quoted, God is looking for people whose heart is perfect towards him. He's not looking for millionaires. He's not looking for the educated. He's not looking for uh, you know, people who have music ability. He's looking for faithful people. And then when he finds one, he's going to show himself strong on his behalf. And so the Lord has been showing himself strong, I believe, in Taiwan. You know, I, I wasn't even sure that Taiwan was uh, the place where we should have gone. After we left China, even to this day, my heart is in China. And the reason is because there's not a place in China that you can't go 
and, and there's just a multitude, a sea of people surrounding you that are dying and going to hell. And if you think of those terms, and every when you go to the, the grocery store, I mean, it, it just, you can't not do anything. I mean, it's a double negative there, but it's just a tremendous burden. That burden has never left me, even when we're in Taiwan. But when the Lord brought in Peyton and started the church, and people are getting saved and baptized, and then men just keep coming to be trained to be in full-time ministry, um, I think that's a God thing. And I think that's his confirmation that he uh, wants to further the gospel in a place that you and I probably never thought of. But when we got kicked out of China, um, the only reason I thought Taiwan was because the Taiwanese speak Chinese like, like they do in China. When Paul, when he was arrested, when he was jailed, uh, in Philippians 1.12, he told them that the things happened to me, and everybody in the palace knows about it, but the things happened to me for the furtherance of the gospel. And so when we went to China, we thought we had a plan. We thought, we, you know, we thought God was calling us to a people that needed the gospel in China. But here God had a plan for people in Taiwan to hear the gospel, for the furtherance of the gospel. Now maybe one day the door will open up in China again, and it'll be on God's timing. Uh, but how can, we not, um, how can we not stay and work where God is working? And I believe the Master also taught us about that, where he sees the Father work, so I work. And so we're seeing that happen in, in, in Taiwan and with these six young men. And uh, you know, when they surrender to serve the Lord full time, um, it's, it's, not a, it's not a positive thing in their family. My dad's a pastor, and so when I got saved, that was a good thing. My, my parents rejoiced that their son got saved. When I was 14, I came home, told mom and dad, just came home from church camp. I came home, told mom and dad, I want to serve Jesus my whole life. That was a good thing, positive thing in our family. When Josh gets saved, he got yelled at from his Buddhist parents. Three years later, when he told mom and dad he's going to serve God full time, he got more than yelled at. And so... Where is his support going to come from? It's not going to come from his parents. Um, but that's why in the Bible, Paul was a spiritual dad to the men he trained. And so we're, I'm not starting a Bible college. Don't think that um, what we're doing is simply what Bible colleges do. In a Bible college, you will spend 120 hours working on a bachelor's degree. We're way past 120 hours with these guys. And who has teenagers in your house? Are they expensive? Yeah. Are they expensive? You tell me. Um, I mean, they'll eat, they'll eat everything you got. And so, you know, my, my refrigerator is commonly empty because of we're training men. And we're, we're training, and, and I'm really like their dad more than I am a teacher or anything else to them. And it'll be, it'll be 10 o'clock at night, time to put the kids to bed. I got three kids, one's autistic. And every time, there's always people in our house, and so it'll be time for bed. And whoever's in the living room, I'll say, okay, guys, come on, let's go, in the, let's go in the kids' bed. And we'll go in to their bedroom, and I'll kneel down and pray for my sons and give them a kiss on the head. And Okay, I'll say, we're done, and we'll go back out. And that's their training. It's not always just hermeneutics and homiletics and all the edicts and edicts and isms and the theologies. It's just how to be a man, how to pray for your sons, because they never had that. How are they going to know to do that? We take it for granted. They don't know, and they, won't, they will not know unless they have a spiritual dad. That's training that you won't get in a college. But it is way more necessary than a theology class, let me tell you. 
Um, that's the basics of it. And so, um, you know, I say that as in, you know, that's the Taiwanese world and that's what goes on in Taiwan, but is that not what's needed in this world as well? For dads to be dads, and if, if you run into a neighbor, if you run into someone in your own family that never had a spiritual dad, that never took them how to pray, how, how are they going to pray? How are they going to learn how to serve God? How are they going to learn to be generous unless they have a spiritual dad to take them and show them that? That's basic mentoring, discipleship, one-on-one. It's a missing component in our church. And, uh, and I, don't, I don't know your pastor that well, so I may get in trouble for saying this, but you know, a lot of times we, we, we forfeit the privilege to train our men in the ministry by just simply giving them over to the Bible college. That's not a church. I mean, who, who has the authority to give the gospel? Theologically. The church does. Is not training men and, and discipling men a part of that mandate? Absolutely. So who has the authority to do that? The, the church does. And so um, you know, our way of missions is, is, is not just a category for missions. It's, it's, it's New Testament church work. Amen. And, and doesn't need, does, isn't there a need for church planning in America still today? You ever gone up to New England lately? There are no churches up there, man. How are we going to get churches up there? We're going to have to train them and send them out. You know, the best churches are not, are not churches that hoard everything, but churches that send out the best that we have. That's what a healthy church is. And uh, if, we, if, if you look at the Acts and you look at the New Testament and you, and you follow the pattern of ministry, um, Jerusalem is where it started. Am I right? Is that, isn't that where the first church really got started? But by the end of Acts, that church was dying, man. They needed help. They needed help. And who did they get help from? The Gentile churches, the, the, the church of Antioch, who was sending out missionaries. Jerusalem was not sending out missionaries. And do you see that? Do you, do you see what the pattern that God gave us in His Word? And so that's the church's mandate. Uh, but can we bring it home just a little bit more personal? And in order to do that, I got five minutes. I'm going to show you three verses here in the book of Luke. You know, the church's mandate is to. Uh, preach the gospel to every creature, but also to teach and teach them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you, of course. And that's where we get the idea of mentoring and discipleship, especially in, and when it comes to training new leaders, new pastors. Um, that's, that's the missionary's job. That's the pastor's job. That's, that's the deacon's job. We're to do the training and not to forfeit it to someone else. Uh, but for everybody else who's not a deacon and not a pastor and not a missionary... Uh, what is your part in this mandate? What is your part in missions? Is it just giving? Is it just to check off a box and say, well, I've, I've got my faith promise commitment this year and I've done my part in missions? It's way more than that. It's way more than that. And in Acts chapter 4, or Acts, did I say Acts? Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter, I guess I did say Acts because I hear a bunch of pages turning. Luke chapter 14. And looking at verse uh, 26, uh, here's the first verse. And I, I call these the three cannots, the three cannots. Verse 26, it says, <clears throat> If any man come to me and hate not his father, his mother, and his wife, and children, and brothers, and sisters, yea, his own disciples, his own life also, he cannot what? He cannot be my disciple. 
That's, that's the first cannot. And to explain this first very quickly, that Jesus needs to take priority in your love life. <laughs> there is no greater love than him. And unless he is your, if he's not your greatest love, then we apply the cannot there. Cannot even be a disciple unless that is in place. And that sounds basic, one-on-one type stuff. And uh, so it's, it goes well beyond just saying a prayer and, and thinking that you're saved. Um, it, of course, our, you know, our salvation is not by works, it is by grace alone. But when it comes to discipleship and following Jesus and obeying his commands and fulfilling the, the mandate of missions, he has to be number one in your life. Otherwise, it just can't happen. That's the first cannot. The second cannot is in the next verse, verse 27. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And so what does it mean to bear your cross? And nowadays we use that term as a joke. Like if you have a, you know, a nasty uncle that's coming over for Thanksgiving, and you might joke and say, oh, I've got to bear my cross and talk to my uncle this week. You know? and, and we use it as a joke. But in the first century, no one joked about the cross. Because it was, it was the most gruesome thing. If you had kids going into the market and there was a nasty cross scene right there, you would avert your kids' eyes and walk around it because it was nasty. And Jesus is using this picture of getting up on the cross, and unless you can, unless you can't, then you can't even be my disciple. Oh, but you see the priorities here in a Christian's life. There's really no, there's no room for nominal Christianity. There's no, really no room for just haphazardly jumping in to this Christian thing. It's, it's all or nothing. We just sang the song, I surrender all, not some, but all. And that's what Jesus is saying. That's probably the, verse, the very verses that were the, the author of that song came up with. The third cannot is in verse 33. It says, So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. What's it mean to forsake all? Well, there's one person in Scripture that God really used. And um, in order to show you this real quick, I'm going to use it. Can I use this pumpkin <laughs> as, my, as my visual aid? Um, there's one feller in the Scripture that God really used, but God used him in spite of him. You know what I'm talking about? Talk about Jonah. And God used Jonah to do great mighty things in Nineveh. Nineveh was a huge city. I think some of the commentaries say upward to two hundred to 300,000 people in that city, and they all repented at the preaching of Jonah. But if you can imagine what kind of man Jonah was, did he want to go to Nineveh to preach? He had to. <clears throat> and God kind of made him, right? That's what the whole thing about the fish was about. He gets puked out on the beach, got seaweed wrapped in his head, and so you can imagine, I mean, he didn't show up in a, in a three-piece suit. He showed up with vomit on him and, and probably smelling like he'd been in the belly of a fish. And then he preached. You imagine how he preached? Do you think he preached the truth in love? I don't think he did. I think he hated their guts. And I think he preached like he hated their guts. And uh, so, he, you know, in 40 days, Nineveh is going to be overthrown. And I'm going to watch. <laughs> Bless God. And that's exactly what he went to go do. And after he got him preaching, what did he do? Outside the city, watching the sea, God's going to judge this stinky nation that I hate. But God didn't do that. Why not? Because they repented. They put God first when they repented. 
And so what did Jonah do? He got mad. <laughs> Why? Well, there are some priorities in his life kind of out of place, I think. Um, and in order to show where his priorities were, God showed us. There was a gourd that appeared up over his head. And for the first time in the story of Jonah, he's happy. He's not happy about revival. He's not happy about what God was doing. He's not happy about God using him in a great mighty way. He's happy about this. And then God takes away his gourd, and he goes right back to what? Just kill me now, God. I mean, read it. He asked God to kill him. Just kill me. It's better for me to die than to live. And, and God says, do you do well to be angry? He said, yes, I do well to be angry, even unto death. And then the story ends. We're not really given much resolution in Jonah. But I think it's very suitable because if you apply that message to a modern-day Christian and you think about the three cannots that we just looked at, Jesus has to be first, right? And this whole thing about serving Jesus and um, what it takes to get the gospel to somebody it might take some, some serious sacrifice to get the gospel to somebody. It might take a, a lot of generosity. I mean, it, how, how much generosity does it take to raise a teenager? <laughs> what about your spiritual teenagers? You realize before a person can get saved, they're just going to need a little bit more than maybe just the Romans road. So where is that going to come from? That's going to come from your pocket. That's going to come from your heart. That's going to come from your hospitality. That's going to come from you making yourself vulnerable, opening up your house. But you will never do those things as long as there's gourds in your life that are uh, more important than Jesus. And we, we laugh at Jonah because he had gourds, and gourds is a silly thing to love more than God. But that's what God thinks of all of our gourds that we have in our attics and our basements, and we're full of them. Anybody watch Hoarders? <laughs> Anybody watch that show? gourds. They're up in the night and they're gone in the night. And we laugh at the show because it is ridiculous, but it is just as much ridiculous to give up Jesus and his commission. And, and we sing, you know, I'd rather have Jesus, but the truth is we'd rather have our gourds. And we wonder why we don't have a powerful testimony. We wonder why nobody wants Jesus because the look on our face says otherwise. <laughs> I'd rather die. <laughs> right? And so that's, that's the individual mandate. And we know, that, we know that we ought to be involved in missions, but here, I don't want to be involved in missions and have to do it. You understand? In Matthew 6, 21, it talked about having uh, two masters. 6, 24, it talked about having two masters. You, you either love one or hate the other. And in verse 21 there, it, it talked about um, your heart will always follow your treasure. And so if our treasures are in the things of this earth, no wonder we have a have-to problem. No wonder we have a heart that clings to this world because we're investing in things that come up in the night and leave in the night. But if you simply want to have a heart for the mission, invest in it. And your heart will follow. It may not happen overnight. But if you start investing into a young man or a young lady that needs Jesus, you're going to be so burdened for them. And your wallet's going to open up almost automatically just like they're your own kids. We do that for our kids, right? If our kids were hurting and they needed money right away, 
there's no price tag on what we do. But you know where we get that from? You know where that comes from? That comes from looking into Jesus, who died on the cross. For God so loved the world that he did what? He, gave, he opened up himself. He made himself vulnerable. He was the most generous, hospitable person that you can compare yourself to. And why did he do that? He did it so you could be saved. And if that is what you think about when you lay in bed and think about before you go to sleep, that will fundamentally change. And you'll have a hard time not becoming a Christian.